and I think that's one of the, the reasons why the power of saying that live and then singing This Is When Dreams Come Alive is because that aloneness doesn't feel like aloneness when you're singing those lyrics together. It's kind of like, fuck, like, we all feel this in different ways. We all, like, it's part of our collective human consciousness and you feel that resonant energy just reverberating in that room or on that grassy field. It's kind of like... And that's what gets me up in the morning as a singer-songwriter is really connecting with the heart and making that language really palatable to anyone, that anyone can connect with it, that it's not too wordy, not too fucking woke folk that people can't relate you know can you make it pretty but still make it completely palatable that's me billy otto and you're listening to the beginning of us feel like something is rapidly transfiguring in my core of being an awakening of sorts the beginning of us a raw conversation hosted by your main fucker billy otto Pulling apart what it means to rebirth, to rewild, to be curious and to rechild. Hey, welcome back, fam. It's so good to be back in communication with you, back in conversation. I hope you've had a blessed week. It's been a beautiful time just reflecting on some of the responses from the last episode that we had with Benny Gordon from Parkway Drive. Just a couple of uh, little messages that I received. This is Jake from the Central Coast. What an incredible listen. Huge love to my boy Billy Otto on this gem with Ben X Gordon. Inspiring and uplifting. Yes, fam. Cheers, Jake. This is Mac from Maroubra. Says, your positive energy is radiating to the world around you, bro. You're a good soul. Ben from Newcastle said... Hey, it's so good to see young men like yourself talking about real things, mental health, spirituality, breakthrough, and all-round realness. Means a lot. Keep doing what you do, Billy boy. I'm just learning so much for this podcast, this whole dance between exploration and expression, the back and forth, the things that I'm able to name within myself, insecurity, new discovery, reflection, observation, human connection immersion in nature, all these things that are really interesting to me and um, to have so much support and to have the listings going up is is just mind-blowing to me, ground-shattering. This week's a little bit different. It's been a whole five years since I started writing Born EP, my, uh, my sophomore record. And for many of you that listen to my music, this, this was the album that really broke me through to a different level of influence and a a new platform and it helped me to travel a lot around the world and I wanted to honour that time that I spent in building that record, um, the people involved, the stories that produced that art and the artistic language that I developed through this album was amazing um, for me as a human. Um, Enough chin wagging. Uh, This episode is the first half of a conversation that I had with musician Jarrah concerning uh, the Born EP that I wrote mainly uh, in Brazil, in Copenhagen and in America, namely Chicago. So it's pretty exciting. Um, I think that um, writing an album um, or an EP is just 
stellar in the way that you can communicate all your thoughts and experiences in a whole body of work. And so um, if you haven't listened to Born EP, get on it. Um, it's on my Spotify. It's, it's my proudest body of work up to date. And I am writing a new album right now, producing it. It's all exciting, but we cannot move forward unless we reflect backwards. So yeah, this is the first half, part one, Billy Otto's reflection on Born EP. Remember to listen to Jarrah's music. It's incredible. The Spotify link is in the show notes. And yeah, fam, there's a language warning on this one. So yeah, maybe it's not a suitable episode for your children. Heaps of love. Namaste. Kelawarga. The beginning of us. All right. I'm going to do a little intro for you because I know you uh, enjoy embarrassing people in front of them or making people feel very loved. So I'm going to do the same for you. So I'm going to start off with, uh, my name is Jarrah um, and I'm truly honoured to have the opportunity to dive deep into discussions with the man himself, Billy Otto. Um, Billy is the prince of enthusiasm, a vast vessel of knowledge, an ageless soul, and the curator of all things social. Creativity and consciousness dance delicately through Billy's existence, and he is a ray of light that shines on lives all over the globe. The only thing this chorus craftsman loves more than creating sonic bliss is adding an unnecessary but delicious amount of condiments to every single meal. <laughs> My great mate, Billy Otto, welcome to your podcast. Yeah, the crowd roars. You Massive moments. Thanks, Jarrah. Jarrah Ferris-Smith. Thank you for holding space for me. No worries. About my own art, my own craft, my own body of work. I'm excited to dive into it. It's going to be cool. Uh, where are you living now? In Suffolk Park, um, up here in the Byron area. Yeah. Followed Billy up here after he moved from <laughs> Maroubra. I couldn't, couldn't handle being without him, so <laughs> cruised on up and been writing some tunes and recording a few things and some exciting and stuff. And you live in a way. bus. I do live in a bus. That is true. Um, yeah, self-converted bus and just hanging out, living the dream. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah, man, it's been really cool creating some music together and you, you're a great writer. Thank you. Um, and it's been um, really special for me as a writer being able to kind of vomit out my heart and parts of my artistry and you you just seeing holes in it and just seeing greater potential for it to have more flow and I think it's helped give some clarity to how I write. I think it's a really nice collaboration because sort of you've got that hook mindset and that like the way that you come up with the the music is really beautiful and there's usually a great structure to that and I really enjoy like floating around lyrically mm. within sort of what you've created mm. I think it's a really cool um cool way of doing things yeah and I was really excited about having you kind of take me through the Borny P it's been nearly five years yeah it's been five years since I started writing this body of work and I think your understanding of musicology, music history, um, the greats from the Beatles to Floyd to now, everything in between. Yeah, you're really well versed and uh, you really draw from a lot of that wealth of musical ancestry. Yeah, there's like the thing about music is that everything basically comes back to the same origins, you know what I mean? And it, mm. it builds out like folk music is punk music, you know, <laughs> is a combination because they're both protests, you know, mm. things like that where there's there's lineages that connect everything. Um, so mm. I'm excited to sort of 
embark on a bit of a a journey through um, through what you went through with the Born EP. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to sort of hear where those influences came from, and mm. also what I really want to find out is what changes you were going through in your life during that period or what you were learning about yourself that got put into this EP. Dude, excited. And um, fam out there, if you haven't heard Jarrah's music, it's it's incredible, really great folk music. I've been producing the last couple of singles. Um, some of the stuff hasn't been released yet and super pumped about that. Uh, we're calling in from Bundjalung country, um, my tree house just behind Lennox Head and we're on this beautiful mezzanine uh in this mezzanine space beautiful white floor sun's uh piping through and we've just been um surfing some really great waves me and some of my girlfriends um yeah man let's let's kick in it's a beautiful space let's do it yeah check instagram for this uh for an upload of where we are right now because it (laughs) is pretty special yeah glorious yeah so um hit me up mate all right so the way I'd like to sort of go through it with you is we'll, we'll listen to a bit of the songs and, and then sort of deconstruct them. Yeah, um, for sure. And let's start with start from the top. We'll go in chronological order. And um, Eyes Like Fire. Silverchair vibes there. Massive, yeah. Why not? <laughs> it's a big start. Yeah. Big. Probably one of the, the favourite hooks that I've ever made, to be honest. And um, yeah, I played it to my family at a Christmas. Yeah. Nice. like a leviathan being stabbed to death. (laughs) It's brutal. (laughs) 
Yeah. Amazing stuff. It's a big start to the EP. Yeah. It hits hard straight away. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about where this song came from? Yeah. It was in 2015 that I was traveling the world as a singer-songwriter for the first time, like a really big trip, like 12 months. Like I spent, yeah. like I was in the Caribbean for a bit. I spent a lot of time in Brazil, um, a lot of time in Sweden and Denmark. Um, yeah. I, I made some music videos in Iceland. It was a really bizarre time, based myself in San Diego. But I was in this incredible river flow of inspiration. I was single and I just kind of felt like really called to make music and to play music. And I had this album that I was touring, my album before Floating Now. Um, and for the first time in my life, was just selling a lot of merch and properly building like the Billy Otto brand. Um, I was 26 and just, just feeling really fresh and finding myself on stage, uh, feeling really comfortable for the first time. And it was actually when I was on my first tour in Brazil that I was playing in a place probably like two hours out of Sao Paulo and I found myself playing at this venue and the venue had this really massive um, bathroom, like this cavernous, okay. <laughs> palatial kind of bathroom and it had incredible acoustics. You know what it's like? You yeah. walk into a big bathroom and oh, you're like, beautiful. wow, just that resonance, that reverb, just naturally you're in this space realm. Mm -hmm. And I just found myself getting ready, like doing some vocal warm-ups, but my bathroom was shared with the public and I was just like, oh, oh, oh. I was like fully out of tune. I was just like whimpering these yelping hooky things and it was just coming out of me. And then I was just like, oh, it kind of works. So it's just like, oh, oh. and I was just singing it over and over. Eventually I got my um, iPhone out and I was just getting a voice memo. As you do as a singer songwriter, you just whip it out. You never know, you might lose that muse, that inspo. And so I just chucked it on my phone, I was recording <laughs> And I just remember these Brazilian dudes walking in, just trying to do a wee. <laughs> and they, um, they were just looking at me. I didn't know them, but their look was like, oh, Billy Zinho, Stranho, like little Billy, so weird. What are you doing over there? Like, I think they were like, who is this guy recording himself in a bathroom? Yeah. But um, that That's became- say every day. Yeah, it became <laughs> like the hook kind of bedrock for the track. Awesome. Um, I kind of buried the song for a bit. And then later that year- I played it in front of my family at Christmas, um, just all the, the, the young generation, all my siblings and cousins and stuff. And, and my siblings couldn't believe that I wrote it. And when they get excited about a track, I get pretty excited because we've written a lot of music together and they know how to write really well. Um, but it was actually the January after Christmas that I went into the studio with Luke O'Day and with Don Bortzowski from Gang of Youths. And we just started mapping out and Domi played some incredible drums. We are in this really nice Newcastle studio called Impromptu and we just made this thing work. Um, Luke O'Day, who's one of my best mates, who's Nashville-based, he's just like such a, a sonic wizard. Mm. And he was definitely the guy that said to me, Billy, you're a folk artist right now. You've come from a very Christian background if you want to go into psych, dream pop music, we can do it. But if we're going to cross that Rubicon, I need you to commit with me. Yeah. If we're going to go there, we have to go all the way there. It's one of those things, Billy, where you can't just sit halfway. 
you've got to be convicted and commit to it. Otherwise the listeners are going to feel that. And so we just kind of went all the way, like we somewhere between like Old Tame Impala and Silverchair is where we kind mm. of sat this, like the Diorama album, being a Novocastrian, um, a native of Newcastle. Like I was really inspired by that album from a young age. And yeah, so a lot of my friends in Newcastle heard the song that were just like, all these Daniel Johns hooks yeah, I and I was say. just like, that's a massive, that was a massive um, accolade for me. Songwriting so vulnerable. But yeah, Eyes Like Fire generally is just, it's a, it's a love song about um, just falling in love um, in the summer and seeing the summer in a girl that you like yeah. and are falling in love with. And um, yeah, I was completely single at the time, but I just kind of manifested this intimate story of, this guy meeting a girl and it just being like an incredible East Coast summer Australian romance. So sometimes I find that the the best love songs are ones that aren't necessarily true stories. Like yeah. they're just like And they're not the, even about you. Yeah, that's it. They're the absolute pinnacle of what you would like to experience. Yeah. And it's it's takes things to a very deep level, I think, because it's not it's not a experience. It's mm. you know it's an extra worldy sort of experience. It's a daydream, you know yeah. what I mean? I think that's really, really special. Yeah. You mentioned your family before. Give me a rundown just quickly, if that's possible. I know you've got a big family, but run me through your childhood. Yeah. And how music came to you and how you went to music. Yeah. So I come from the Otto family. Um, we're half Malaysian, half German-Irish. And um, growing up in Newey, uh, my sister Melissa, she's the eldest, my older brother Jono and my little sister Sarah. Yeah, we were like singing harmonies from the womb. That's like awesome. literally like listening to Jackson 5 growing up, the Seekers. Um, Dad was a big Pink Floyd fan, but we listened to like a lot of Michael Jackson. Yeah. Weirdly. Hence um, the pop licks that you have. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dad was really also into like Deep Purple and more of like the heavier rock from the mid and early seventies and, but we also grew up in church. And so it was kind of like a bit of dissonance because we didn't want to get too lost in worldly music as my dad would say, yeah. but we always loved that. But then we'd play at like churches every weekend from a young age. It's such a juxtaposition with <laughs> well, your dad that he paradox. loved. Yeah. Like he loved that seventies, like psych, like trip and balls basically yeah. music, you know, acid drop, acid yeah. music. And yeah. then, like uh, his his favorite album is Dark Side of the Moon of all time. It's just it's bizarre. I haven't personally met your dad, but yeah. I've heard a lot about him. And <laughs> character. I just can't believe that. It's yeah. outrageous. So cool. Yeah. Like that it's like he he maybe found something in that music that was yeah. rebellious. Yeah. And like inspiring and yeah. extra worldy. Yeah. Which I think that's awesome. Yeah. So it was that sort of music yeah, that and, he brought? Yeah, and he, because he was a singer, mum can't sing in tune, but dad's got a beautiful like John Denver kind of tone and he nice. loves John Denver, James Taylor, yeah. Seals and Crofts. Yeah. Um, and he he was the one that had like this old mate and beautiful guitar yeah. that would just sit us around and teach us how to sing listening to each other. Beautiful. And so that's probably one of the reasons why I kind of bloomed as a singer like later in my 20s mm-hmm. because... I was so used to playing as part of groups as a bass player and my dad was just so much about getting us to really listen to each other's harmonies. So we're doing these four-part harmonies, like four kids and our dad singing in front of these big like Christian concerts and traveling around. 
Um, yeah. And so it was really special, man. Like I think growing up around a whole cluster of little half Asians that all like were so nourished by music yeah. and so, so nourished in music as far as like, we all shared instruments. We all like, you know, went to saxophone lessons, piano lessons and learned classical music, played drums, played everything. Mm. Um, Cause you're like sharing bunks and you're sharing instruments. Yeah. It's like goes hand in hand in big families where your mum doesn't work. And so yeah. we didn't go overseas, but we had instruments and we went on camping trips. And so awesome. Yeah. Around the campfire, we'd whip out guitars and just play hymns and we'd play some folk music. It was just, yeah, the most nostalgic times. It's beautiful. And I think it's a credit to that upbringing that has led most of your family to be involved in music in some capacity. Yeah, for sure, um, for sure. It's awesome. Yeah, like I feel so honoured that all of my siblings are like phenom- phenomenal songwriters. Yeah. And it, it took my brother to kind of leave the family band. He joined a punk band called The Ones With Tadpoles like full pop punk, kind awesome. of like the Ataris, kind of like from yep. first to last kind of vibes. And then I was so influenced by my brother. I joined a punk band, got signed quite young, then joined another punk band. And yeah, we kind of went through that beautiful like rebellion and questioning the system and mm. everything. But yeah, I think I think now as a solo artist and, and playing with my Billy Otto band, like I attribute so much to how I grew up. Mm. And it's all the weird church stuff. Like I cherished, um, I cherished the memories of like my my family just being so invested in me and my siblings growing in music and 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 building our own artistic language. Yeah, I think um, church and church music is the cornerstone of of modern. Music. I was watching the Elvis um, documentary called The Searcher the other day, Mm. and like he was gospel, you know, like that's where rock and roll came from for him, and Mm. where a lot of the time people can be a little bit critical of of the religious side of church going, or um, Mm. you know, can have their opinion on that, but no one can deny the musical brilliance that has come out of of different religious sects yeah. over the years, you know? It's, Rhythm it's and amazing. Blues from the South. Oh, it's just um, Listen it's to Dylan, it's yeah. church music. 100%. Yeah. So I want to go on to the next song. Yeah, I was just going to say about, because um, it was kind of bizarre, like one of the first um, humans that I shared the song with in its entirety, like I had like a non-mixed um, cut of the song with real drums and everything mm-hmm. and I showed Chrissy, so right. I like four weeks later. I met my partner at the time, so we're not together anymore. But like, it was super bizarre because everything that I'd been singing about in this song was kind of manifested in her. Because she's got crazy eyes yeah. and like this California girl, and so yeah, like I showed her this song. Like I picked her up. We were just mates at the time and I was about to go launch my other side project with my sister called Janie. Janie, yeah. Band, and we were doing our launch party. It was sold out, good times. And I picked her up. We're driving in my family's van just before I moved to America. I'm like, listen to my song. I was just so keen just to share it. And it was, she was like the first person I ever shared it with. And I always felt like Eyes Like Fire was almost like a prophetic thing of how the next four years of my life was going to look like with this cal- beautiful California girl. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, so I always kind of shared that, that she she was the incarnation of the track. Yeah. Um, you might hear throughout the song, there's just this um, this metering, like 
for some reason, like when I was making this track, Lukey kind of like chopped it up. And so it goes, summer, summer, where did you learn to There's like a seven, eight bar there. So yeah. anyone who's not like into musicology, I'm sorry, but... Throughout this song, it's actually really hard to play live. Yeah. Because you have to count the chorus so well, otherwise you fuck it up. You need a really good drummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as, as much as it's like a love song and it's like, I think about Chrissy in California, it's kind of like, it's a bit stressful to play live, even though it sounds so chill. I've seen you play it live and yeah. you don't look stressed. Okay, so cool. That, it's usually with a band because the yeah. drummer's like trying to count me in, bro. There's a three, four bar, then a four, four, then a seven, eight. Ah. <laughs> but um, Panic. Yeah, but I love it. I love starting a set with this song because it yeah. just kind of breaks your ass. It's a good, good first up song. Yeah. It's beautiful. So Dreams. Mate, the synths. Oh.
That's dreams. Amazing stuff. <laughs> I want to... I just want to say, like, with both dreams and eyes like fire, like, I showed both these tracks to... Uh, a dear friend, Chris Collins. So he produces Skeggs, he used to be part of Tiger Town, right. Ruby Fields, but he was the guy when I showed these tracks to that I went down to just get some vocal ideas from him, a bit of coaching, and he's got me in his little vocal booth down at the time south of Sydney. And he was just like, bro, you just got to be confident in singing. Mm. Like, you just got to feel it, just give your heart to it. He was the one that told me years before that I should sing more. Yeah, and okay, like, right. and so it's just like both these tracks had a bit of a touch of the Chris Collins inspiration. But yeah, dreams, dude. Thanks for like dancing at the end of that. No worries. That was nice. Yeah, I think um, initially I would like to talk about the fact that this is very. There's a lot of synth in this song. It starts out that way, and then towards the end, it sort of drops off, and then the synths come back in, and then it's just the mega dancey build at the end. Yeah. Was it something that you started out writing this on like an acoustic guitar and then take it to the studio and then it becomes more than that? Or is it yeah. just, or, or was this like written in the studio, um, sort of grabbing bits of synths here and there, putting them together and then rocking out over the top of that? Yeah, it was bizarre, man. Like initially, like I wrote this chorus like ages ago, man. I was like, I was at uni, it must have been 20. 13, 14. Right. And it came to me when I was in my shower down in my bro mansion, like <laughs> Normanhurst, like a gross part of like far north Sydney. Yeah. Not somewhere you really want to be. No. no. At the time I thought I was living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just putting on weight and just trying to start a vegan cooking channel. Yeah. It didn't go very far. Yeah. But, yeah, no, but never anyway. Heard of that. <laughs> it's called Cooking on the Edge. All oh, right. But basically, I played this song to my brother and to my housemate, Jared. I was just played the chorus. It's, this is when dreams come alive. It's my time. Tell me you're wrong. And I, and they like they said to me, dude, just play it again. Like I, I felt something. Just play it again. But again, it was one of those things where I just kind of sat on it for a couple of years. I didn't really know where I wanted music to go at the time. I was doing some music with my brother, but I hadn't released anything that was just me. Mm. Um, but I definitely felt something in this chorus, and I ended up bringing it. Um, in my consciousness when I was touring the world, I was in Sweden and Denmark and I started jamming it out on the piano. I was just kind of, I thought okay. it was going to become more of like a piano rock ballad. Right, okay. Boom, boom, boom. And I, I thought it was going to be more um, emotive and just more chunky and visceral. Um, and I, I, I brought it to um, my friend Jacob, a songwriter in Denmark, and we co-wrote on it a little bit for a day, but... It still wasn't feeling right. Like I couldn't really, like we kind of tweaked a bit of the chorus, but for some reason, like it just wasn't feeling supernatural because I just, I couldn't feel the sonic world that I wanted to create. Yeah. I didn't know if it was going to be an acoustic song or like it was going to be a rock song or a piano ballad. And it wasn't until I got back from 2015 um, and it was like the beginning of 2016 when I was with Luco Day again and I played in the song. He loved it and he's like, dude, Again, do you want to go this way? Let's make it a dream pop song. Let's just make it big. Um, But let's have some fun. And so we kind of, um, yeah, just started putting down some electric guitars. We didn't touch a real piano. didn't touch like a real guitar. Like we wrote 
we wrote with like an acoustic guitar and an upright piano just to kind of get the song right. But we wanted to really stay in this dreamy psych pop realm. Um, and when he kind of yeah brought in some of those synths, like you're saying, I was just a little bit like, wow, like mm. I haven't done drugs in my whole life. I'm 26, 27. Like, where is this going? But um, man, like everything that happened, he started jamming out that end section. And I was just like, no way. But he just had this look in his eyes, kind of like a great white shark going in for the kill. Yeah. Like there was just nothing that was holding him back. He's like, this is it. He knew what he so needed So he just to committed do. to it. And so yeah. we turned the end section into a party, changed the time signature from 6-8 to 4-4. Four, four, and this became my biggest ever song. I was going to say, was it always 6-8? It was always in 6-8, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I used to get into a trap of writing in 6-8. For anyone who doesn't think musically, like 6-8 is just that feeling of like you could waltz yeah. to it. Like it's it's counting in threes, mm. um, essentially triplet counting. Anyway, but man, like never would have thought that um, at that time in my life that I would have manifested this kind of production, but I just kind of really give a lot of that back to Luke O'Day and the way that he believed in me. Um, Dommy from Gang of Views again played on this track. And when he was like whacking down the groove and just hitting the drums hard, I just knew that, that texturally and tonally and the timbre of the song was coming alive and it was fully manifesting in its truest form. Mm. I just kind of let Dom and Luke just run wild. I was just sitting at the back of the studio, not really doing anything, just letting them drive. I bought them coffees, <laughs> coffees and burgers, and the boys just went nuts. It definitely paid off, the yeah. coffees and burgers. I think, um, yeah, I think it's amazing that this song is, is, is your biggest song. I think yeah. because it's it's so different, like yeah. using that 6-8 timing and then going into the 4-4 four, four at the end. Yeah. I think it's a credit to music listeners that this is a like your biggest song because yeah. it's complex to digest, you know what I mean? There's <laughs> yeah. a lot going on. Yeah. And, and the chord changes. Yeah. It's like not the quintessential sort of hit song, you yeah. know what I mean? I think yeah. that's really cool that your audience are able to appreciate this. Yeah. Um and that be your biggest song. I think that's really special yeah for sure man um and i'm stoked that for some reason i don't know if it was just an algorithmic thing but the fact that it is the most listened to song on my dsps and stuff like i yeah i'm stoked because it is an anthem Mm. of the heart for me i really felt the the weight of the chorus when i was teaching full-time loved the kids yeah but just, just knew that I was on this weird conveyor belt where I was getting old mm. really fast. You didn't look it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I felt a bit chubby and a bit, I was really confused. Yeah. Um, spiritually, like theologically, I had questions about God, <laughs> but I didn't know how to ask them. I was in this really, I was in a relationship with a different girl at the time, like another girl from America um, in Atlanta. Grace, awesome girl. But it was just like, I remember I was, those two years I was a teacher, I was just very busy all the time and working really long weeks, man, like the hardest that I've ever worked, mm. like sometimes seven days a week yeah. and running like working nights, running these programs for youth, but teaching full time and going on these trips with young people. It was just, um, 
And I knew that there was this yearning, this calling and this purpose in making music full time. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how that was possible because of my tall poppy-esque way of thinking. Yeah. And I think the security blanket of teaching and having two degrees behind me in my early 20s just felt really good and felt like... And I'm stoked that I had those things. Like I feel privileged that I've had a great education and that I always have teaching to fall back on. Yeah. If this doesn't work out, like it's amazing. It's handy. But at the same time, it was that comfort of that paycheck, that $1,000 a week that I'd make that just made me kind of stay in that weird matrix of comfort. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. it, it's definitely, it. I guess I'm a similar age to, well, I'm, 25 yeah. now, so yeah. a little bit younger, but a similar age to where you were at, where yeah. I just went, Crossroads. there's got to be more to life mm. than working this nine to five yeah. grind. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you get tired. 100% you do. Yeah. And yeah, it's a physical thing, a mental thing. It, it's all encompassing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's go on to the and, next and song. And it's like, a, it's like a, a weird kind of negative kind of aging because I think aging is yeah. beautiful, but it's kind of like I think you're aging faster than our evolution is ready for. 100%. You're yeah. not meant to be having your life sorted out at 25. Yeah. It's just not meant to happen. Yeah, we're these organic beings just getting thrown into this little pigeonhole and this is how we operate. This is our desk. Mm. Sit in front of a screen for like six hours a day. For the next 50 years. For the next 50 years. It's yeah. ruining your posture, your back and just going into a staff room where everyone's weirdly competitive and mm. a bit... And strangely <laughs> friendly at the same strangely time. Strangely friendly, like yeah. a lot of fake laughs, a lot of fake smiles. Yeah. I loved my time in Kempsey, but it definitely was a very clear surfacing of like the person that I didn't want to be in the long term. Gotcha. And the path that I didn't want to take. And yeah. I knew that there was seeing myself on the hero's journey and just going like, fuck, like I'm fighting that dragon right now yep. of comfort mm. and I needed to break out. And I think it was like... This, this dream's trajectory of like, this is my time, tell me you're wrong. Because I'd have almost, I didn't, I didn't know if it was just a voice in my head, but I definitely had family and friends that were like, get your money behind you, yeah. save up for your first house. Um, but deep down, I just wanted to pack a suitcase, two guitars, and I just wanted to leave and do tours. And I was doing tours. I was going to Japan at the time. I was going to California back and forth and doing these trips, but I was getting so tired trying to live this life as a full-time teacher, teaching HSC music. Yeah. And then also trying to do music two weeks, every 10 weeks, like overseas and trying to make it work. And so, yeah, like I, I start the song by saying she walks through the night, the frequency's low. Um, um, I talk about like this weight being heavy on our backs mm. and just kind of like this, not just my own journey, but I talk about a woman. Yeah. Because what I see in myself, I see it in a young lady as well and older people, like mm. there's still this child that's just calling out to play. It's awesome. You know? Yeah. And I just, yeah. And so like literally when I play the chorus live, and I tell people to sing and people are already singing the chorus sometimes. It just feels amazing because I'm like, this is when dreams come alive. This is my time. Tell me you're wrong. This is when dreams come alive. This is our time. Mm. It's a new rise. The gravity calls. There's something so natural, innate in the core of our being, in our soul, in our solar plexus that's just saying like breaking free mm. and carving your own path. And, and that's not to say like teaching some, some people feel really called to that. Some people feel called to more of the systems kind of work. But for other people, like, yeah, like for some creative melancholy artists and musicians, like 
you kind of need to be out of what you see as a cage. Yeah. To be definitely. free to kind of like spread your wings and yeah. So I just want to give a shout out to any, especially any artists out there. If you're a painter, if you're a music artist, if you're on this path of manifesting the canvas and the studio canvas, I just want to really encourage you to start, you know, keep dreaming and putting legs on those dreams. I think I had a lot of dreams, but I didn't have a lot of legs on them. I was just mm. kind of like, this is what I want to be doing, but I'm not doing it. And I'd always delay pulling the trigger. It's amazing what can manifest when you believe in it. Yeah. And like you truly just go, I'm going to give that a crack. And I guess I did a similar thing where I went and got a qualification and then like have that to fall back on. Yeah. I think that can be really handy. Um, but I, I definitely think, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that it's important to just give it a crack first. You know what I mean? Or, or just, yeah. yeah, just really put yourself out there and just go hard. And you're definitely a testament to that. That's for sure. Dude, thank you, man. Um, I don't always feel that way. I feel like I bloomed really late, but, but I think everything happens in its time. Yeah. And I, I'm beyond the way of thinking oh man, if only I just would have like not gone to uni and just started busking in Byron and just had that head start. But I wasn't ready for that. I think that's what's inspirational about you though is the fact that you are older than most people when they, if they get to this point. Yeah. But you, it's like, it's a credit to you for sticking it out, you know what I mean? Mm. And I think you are one of the youngest 30-odd year olds I've ever met because mm. you, you keep yourself young. You go out there and you do things and I guarantee you that what you think about what you do during your day is a lot more sort of around the, you know, 2022 <laughs> discovering yourself sort of thing. Yeah. And I think it's awesome that you are able to do that and it's mm. definitely an inspiration. And I know that people around you feel sort of drawn to your youthful energy, you mm. know what I mean? It's really special to still have that and mm. I think... I don't think you'll ever lose it, to be honest. Mm. I think just keep doing what you're doing. It's Thank beautiful. You, it's really inspiring. Yeah, appreciate it, bro. I just, yeah, dude, I just received that, let it sink deeply. Like, I, I honestly feel now in my early 30s that I feel younger than ever. Yeah. And, and you can tell and there's more, a glimmer in your eye. Oh, you thanks, know? bro. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like... Because I think one thing that can happen as you do age, because it was Keith Richards that says, once you start aging, you want to age faster. There's a quote like that. Like, because mm. I think you just lose more bullshit in your life yeah. and you take yourself a bit less seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, if I have a song that flops now, like, I'll get a bit bummed out, but I kind of just giggle about it a bit more. Like, there's yeah. just, you know, like it's bigger. Um, and like I genuinely see myself as like jumping into the sandpit every day with my mates when I'm doing music yeah. and trying to lose, trying to shed off more of those layers of competition because we're so programmed to think competitively, Yeah, comparisons, fuck, look where Ziggy Alberts is now. I like, found you know, that up like, here. Like there's so many people doing a very similar thing <laughs> that it's so easy to go, oh, geez, I wish I was in that guy's shoes, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, if you go what can I learn from that guy's experience? Yeah. Like, how about I go and talk to him, you know? Because yeah. the truth is you're going to bump into these people yeah. in the surf here. Yeah. It's going to happen. How good is that? And I surfed with Pat Rafter the other day. It yeah. was great, you know? It's yeah, just now like... you're a professional tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, coming back to that lyric, um, it says, um, she feels alone, but I won't let go and I want you to know. And I think that as an artist, you feel alone so much. Mm. I think it's a really lonely path to take. It is, definitely. In some perspective. It's a paradox because you're like, you're so connected to everything, but yeah, especially when you're not in a band and you're a solo artist, it's like it can feel a bit scary and you feel like you are dreaming alone. There's pressure too from yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, but also you can't rely on other people necessarily yeah. like in a band, yeah. you know? And I, and I think that's one of the, the reasons why the power of saying that live and then singing this is when dreams come alive is because that aloneness doesn't feel like aloneness when you're singing those lyrics together. It's yeah. kind of like, oh, fuck, like we all feel this in different ways. 100%. We all like it's part of our collective human consciousness and you feel that resonant energy just reverberating in that room or on that grassy field. It's kind of like... And that's what gets me up in the morning as a singer-songwriter is really connecting with the heart and making that language really palatable to anyone, that anyone can connect with it, that it's not too wordy, not too fucking woke folk yeah. that people can't relate. Yeah. You know, can you make it pretty but still make it completely palatable? Woke folk. I think I might uh, – I think that might be me you're talking about. Um, the I just want to say that if anyone listening to this hasn't seen Billy play live, listening to him play live is – fully immersive experience because the emotion is always there and like just hanging out with you and being around you there's always an emotion that is underlying Mm. but when you get up on stage especially with songs like dreams where it has that meaning behind it that everyone can get behind Mm. it is incredible watching you work a crowd of either 15 people 115 people or i reckon you could do a million easy and you'd have everybody encapsulated i think that that having a message in your songs is epic and that's something that I really want to live up to in my music is that, yeah, it's my music, yeah, it's your music, but it's music for everyone. Like we're all learning things, you know, and it's like here's a little lesson I learnt, you know, Mm. and it's important to share that way. Yeah, 100% man. Like, um, yeah, and I think it's like, I think we're in an age now where there is a growing rising of artists that are making art that matters. Mm, and it's so good. It's so it? beautiful. It's part yeah. of that like 60s, 70s, like folk and punk revolution of, you know, art saying something about political leadership, about climate change, about injustice, mm. about the divide, the, the growing divide between the rich and the poor. Yeah, I, I really hope that we can have that same impact in current society Mm. that took place in the 60s and 70s and we just we don't fall into the trap of letting it all get too big and drug orientated like it did then because I feel like they were right on the precipice of of breaking through and uniting young people against the system yeah and then drugs sort of took hold and yeah almost that all got disrespected then yeah you know what I mean Whereas I feel like we've got the opportunity to do it again now and we've got the smarts around Mm. drugs and around substance abuse. Yeah. This could be the time, I think. And the data's there and we've got science and we've got like this incredible information ecology because of um, the internet. Yeah. And so it's kind of like I think we have more ability to kind of just be less wobbly, like more in balance with it all. Because it's like there's nothing innately wrong with psychedelics, no. Uh, and there's like, it, but it's just kind of like realizing that 
I feel like, especially in the music world, it was like, fuck, like psilocybin, acid, you know, MDMA, yeah. like all these things just was kind of fresh for youth culture. We didn't That's really it. know how to, how to kind of ground ourselves with it and to work shamanically with it. Like there was, you know, like I'm sure there was, but I think, yeah, it just kind of blew out. I think now it's been sat with for 60 years or so, yeah. you know, people yeah. understand it a bit more. Um, I want to get back onto some songs here. Yeah. Um, it's, it's beautiful to listen to you talk. I could listen to it all day and oh, the cool, knowledge and, and understanding, but let's, let's jump into another A song for a song. new world. This is our time. This is your time. A song for a new world. One of my favourite lyrics. Thank you. Wonderful. Okay, this is Resume. Yeah. Again, a bit of um, old silver chair, particularly from the, the um, album Frog Stomp. There's a song called Abuse Me. Yes, great song actually. Yeah, um, and also Seal. Seal. Was it a gift of a rose? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was inspired by that to make this song. You understand why? Listen up, guys. Sections, eh? mm, yeah. Josh Ray from Newcastle. Mm. 
particularly love this build. Like the bass sitting up high. It's amazing with the strings in there. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. I've got some initial questions for you. Yeah. The percussion elements, I want to talk about that. Yeah. And then the strings. So let's start with where did you write this song? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, basically this song was uh, written when I was living in Chicago. I was a full-time Christian minister. <laughs> oh, so weird, man, nine lives. Another notch on the belt, eh? Yeah. You've done it all. It was like three or four weeks into living there that I was just like, why am I in this mm. realm, this matrix of fundamentalist ministry? But anyway, I was like... I knew that I had to leave like a couple of weeks into being there, but I was super in love with Chrissy. Mm. And like, she was kind of was like she my- there? No, she was like studying at Hillsong College in Sydney. Are you so joking? She's Californian living in Sydney. I'm from Newcastle living in Chicago. And so you're we, both studying yeah. religion. Yeah, <laughs> it was very different times. Far out. But yeah, like at the time, I feel like Chrissy was like my elixir. Like she was my way out. She was like my therapy, mm-hmm. my nourishment- in this world that I, I did love my life in Chicago so much, but again, didn't feel full freedom to, to completely be me. Yep. Um, very much still on the very Christian Orthodox path. But um, my producer said to me, he's just like, dude, just write a bunch of songs mm-hmm. and just send me ideas. And remember, because Chrissy is a singer-songwriter as well, beautiful project called Mitchie. Check it out. But she, um, she and I had this idea to write 10 songs for each other in 10 days beautiful yeah and I fully committed to it like I fully wrote her 10 songs in 10 days like completed songs like on my phone with a demo like I got them to that level I just fully smashed it out and that's where half of this EP came from wonderful and so I'd send them to every day and I ended up sending Luke these 10 songs and so this song is essentially just a song about my longing to be with her um I was just super in love, like mm. living in a different country, very much in the early infatuation honeymoon stage. Tough time. Where that person yeah. is perfect and they're just the love of your yeah, life. Yeah, 100%. Um, I was already just planning to like fly her out. Like I was so in, like I was just like head deep. Yeah. But yeah, like I wrote it in my little Chicago apartment. I was living in like this little laundry for like 70 bucks a week, just saving. What a bargain. <laughs> and I was... You know, it was really cold when I got there. It was like at the end of the Chicago winter. Oh, that's brutal. Not so a I was like, time in Chicago. I still had like my my sun drenched kind of hair, but like living in Chicago in the winter, like putting on a bit of weight, getting like a little bit white. But basically, yeah, like a bunch of these songs just came from that time where I had space in my life to kind of like be in a different country, and I was just really inspired by a big, by a big city, and like there's definitely those sonic modalities of like um old silver chair um nirvana vibes yeah just kind of that that kind of seattle scene it's a bit like of a 90s grungy rock. Sort of yeah style. grungy yeah. yeah definitely i wanted to ask though and bringing it back to my original little question i guess the one thing that those grunge well it's not the one thing that it doesn't have but something that the grungy time period doesn't have is like the percussive elements that you have in here. Yeah. And then, yes, they did strings, but I think what you've done here is added in some well-travelled knowledge musically. You yeah. know what I mean? Like 
the two bits that stand out for me are the sort of um, I think second verse or, or so when the um, when the percussion comes in. Yeah. Were they all electronic percussion or was it? Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, so I was just cruising based. around in my Subaru and Lukey, Luke O'Day again, who produces Holy P, phenomenal man. He just sent me through like a, cause he'd come out and we recorded the rest of these tracks all over there in a studio in Chicago called oh, Shirk okay. Studios and in this big house in Indiana on this lake. Um, and so basically with Lukey, he sent me all these electronic like intertwining percussive bits. Like that just took me out of nowhere. Like I didn't see yeah. it coming. And so and it was cool. Like it kind of, yeah, it like, it like dips a toe in electronica, which I really like. It's not yeah. like electronic music at all, but it just has that kind of progressive element to it. Mm. But it fully evolves into this mid-90s Seattle thing. Definitely. So the strings, where did that inspiration come yeah, from? Yeah, again, that was like Luke. I, I didn't initially hear strings and I think he was just frothing on like building that anthemic energy and he took all the sessions from our time together in America back to Sydney Um and, you know, it was back in Australia, back in Newcastle, actually, that he sat down with Josh Ray, who plays for Winterbourne. Yep. And I think Joshy apparently smashed out these strings takes in like two takes. Right. So he and plays that, strings. Yeah. He's right. a really good cellist. And so Luke um, wrote out all the parts and then Josh Ray played all the cello parts. Yeah. That's an amazing addition yeah. to that end yeah. section. It sounds like a symphony, but it's just one dude just stacking... Like 25 layers. Nice. So it sounds huge. It's very different to sort of the Winterbourne um, sound yeah. as well. But he can do anything. Like yeah. he's, he's a blitzer. He can do anything from like neoclassical to like pop. Yeah. He does a lot of work for Universal. I think they've gone down the pop sort of route yeah, now as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, man, like definitely um, influenced by Seal. Like I, I, I remember hearing that song when I was now like Now that you've eight. said that, I can't unhear it. Have you ever seen Seal live? No. I almost did. Wow. Yeah. We were at Blues Fest and he was in the next tent, but I was right up the front and just zoning out on, on like John Butler and Tash Sultana. So I didn't make it, but the, <laughs> the froth was huge. For, for seal. seal, big time, yeah. I think like because he, all the mums were keen, <laughs> and then the kids were like, "Oh yeah, I know that song." So all the kids were keen, yeah. So it was it was a pretty, it, yeah. He drew he drew a serious crowd. Wow. Yeah, up against Tash Sultana and John Butler, not a bad effort, especially yeah. in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's some pretty like deep like lyrical content in this song. Like, I think I say. There is a core of the earth. There's a core of the earth, a mystery of chaos and dirt. Beautiful. I've found a place for us there where haze and its minions are found. It's almost like this hellish mm. inner core of the world, that very like Lord of the Ringsy kind of yeah. language. I don't know where it came from. And even as a pastor, I think I felt like that's fucking dark. Mm. What a dark way to talk about love. And would that have been if you hard found you? yourself in the core of the earth with a woman, what would you do with her? It's yeah. kind of like would that have yeah, been deeply hard for sexual. You at the time? Oh, it was a little bit like I just assumed that people would just see it as like lyrical kind of bullshit. It's fun. It like yeah. feels good, but there definitely in my mind there. there was almost like this deep like sensual energy. Mm. Yeah, because um, you're sort of taught to um, to restrict that and 
like, yeah, for sure. Like that aside, sexual, yeah. like puritanical, um, sexual um, suppression, repression. Yeah. Like it's so real, man. I felt it my whole life. Like, yeah, which and makes so- it hard coming out of that because, like, there's so many things to experience all at once and it can it can sort of go, yeah, go, yeah. go the Kid wrong way. in a way. candy store. Yeah. Just spending years on Tinder. Just yeah, slang. No, guys, yeah. I've never done that. So Yeah. But um, yeah, like I definitely, for the first time in this track, I very much voiced my deep love for someone mm. um, and this intense longing. And, you know, like Ben Howard talks about like that great dividing range and, and and it was those that kind of language and that nuance that kind of made me feel like I'm just separated by the Pacific Ocean yeah. from the one that I love. And just yeah. that longing that you have to be with someone and like you taught that narrative that there's that one person out there. Yeah. That might be true, it probably isn't. But like um I was fully in the narrative of like Chrissy is like the love of my life. Well that was I, what you were meant to as well. For sure. And I, I just traveled twenty five countries. Yeah. And then I found her as soon as I came home. And so it was kind of like this, yep, she's she she feels that 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 part of the, the hero's journey. Yeah. You know, like I finally found the one. We're not together now, but it's still like an incredible, like nostalgic thing to kind of look back on of just how devoted I was in my heart. I would definitely say that because um, I sort of met you around the peak of of the Chrissy days. Yeah. Um, and when you dedicate yourself to somebody yeah. from what I can see and I, I see it now in other ways um, yeah. it's it's a full-blown Billy experience like <laughs> you, you get complete sort of access to yeah. the mind body and soul of Billy yeah and I think that's really special and I, I think that the whole idea of there being one person in the world I, th- I think is, is an outdated one for sure because there are a shit ton of people in the <laughs> yeah. world and the fact but, that but it's also like a cute narrative I think if beautiful. you can, if you yeah, can it play is. with it, it and is. it's like it's not true but it is you know yeah. it's like it's cool like it's a cute little paradox yeah um, but yeah just finding someone that you can be like very yourself with and sense that alignment and compatibility it's, it is difficult mm, definitely and so when you do stumble, stumble across that incredible sapien you're like yum yeah Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to my Pulling Apart of Borny P Part 1. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you guys next week. Please leave a comment, a rating, share it with your mates. It all counts, it all matters. I love you. Sending heaps of love for you this weekend. Goodbye.